1: I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode.
0: Coming up on this week's show.
1: Welcome, welcome one and all. It is episode 56 of Free and Inspired Radio. How's your month been so far? I hope you've had a good week. After our deep dive on fatty liver last week... In this week's episode, we're going to get back into the digestive solutions. And this week's episode, we're going to look at three natural ways to help with inflammatory bowel disease. So Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis are the main ones, but if you're new to irritable bowel disease or IBD... inflammatory bowel disease includes crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and its primary characteristics include repetitive episodes of inflammation of the digestive tract now if you're living in hong kong or living in asia hong kong and macau are among the top three regions in asia with the highest prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease So other symptoms of IBD include diarrhea associated with blood and mucus, excuse the mental picture, (laughs) abdominal pain, and something called tenesmus, which is a continual urge to empty the bowels. And also one that I see a lot, which is severe urgency. Now that can be associated with other things. Another key one for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's is pain and there's pain on the lower left side, often with ulcerative colitis, and on the right side in Crohn's disease. Now, that isn't always the case. Uh, Sometimes they can alternate, but often you'll see the, the pain localized either on the left or right side in inflammatory bowel disease. Now, this inflammation is said to be autoimmune in nature with the interaction between the gut and the immune system being a focal origin story here. Now, whilst this interaction between the gut and the immune system is vital, the reason why IBD occurs is still unclear. The true origin of IBD, as I said, is just a mystery. For example, a study has shown that smoking increases the risk of developing Crohn's disease. In contrast, smoking potentially protects against ulcerative colitis and maybe improves its course and An interesting side note there is that there are studies looking at nicotine patches for ulcerative colitis. Now, both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are similar in the way they present. The location of the inflammation is often a signal of which condition is developing. For example, ulcerative colitis typically has inflammation in the lower colon and the rectum. In contrast, Crohn's disease can appear anywhere from the mouth downwards so i'll leave you to fill in the blanks there but crohn's disease can occur across the whole digestive tract now the spectrum of the inflammation whether mild moderate or severe will also be part of the diagnosis as well and also informs the level of treatment and intervention so that can be from medication to surgery or everything in between now unfortunately along with other autoimmune conditions inflammatory bowel disease is not considered curable You can though achieve endoscopic remission where no inflammatory or disease activity is detectable by endoscope or colonoscopy. Now this long road to remission doesn't mean that there aren't ways to manage it and reduce the frequency of flare-ups. Now I've seen it happen a lot. Now we're going to be looking at the the first steps to take control. If you've recently been diagnosed with IBD or are looking to gain more control over the repetitiousness of the flare ups. Now there are a few ways to go about this, the first uh, is using the diet, the second is via nutritional supplements and the third is via herbal medicine. Each of these pillars has its part to play, but in this episode, I will focus on the two vital dietary changes that I think are super important and what I think the first supplement should be to discuss with your healthcare practitioner. Herbal interventions, I'm going to say for IBD, deserve a full episode and we're going to hopefully get into that at some stage over the course of the next 3 to 6 months so stay tuned if you're interested in the herbal medicine there but let's for this episode start with the dietary elements first because I kind of feel like that's something that you could do on you know under your own sovereignty right which is cool now let's talk about why diet is important and why we're starting with diet as opposed to supplementation for example or you know anything else now malnutrition is a primary symptom of inflammatory bowel disease. One study has the incidence of malnutrition in IBD as high as 70%, depending on the definition of malnutrition being used. It's one of the most important considerations aside from the inflammation, as it worsens the prognosis, increases the incidence of complications, mortality, and quality of life in IBD. And I can say clinically that correcting malnutrition is exactly equivalent to trying to treat the inflammation so we hit both with equal priority now the malabsorption occurs more in Crohn's disease uh, than ulcerative colitis because of the broader kind of spectrum of locations where the inflammation can appear but there are a few main reasons why malabsorption becomes a problem Obviously, we've listed some already, but the first is the inflammation itself. Now, inflammation in the intestines shortens the contact time between nutrients and the gut surface, making it difficult for nutrients, including essential amino acids from protein, to be absorbed, hence the term malabsorption. Long-term inflammation can also cause a decrease in muscle synthesis along with malabsorption problems. Unfortunately, common medications used to treat IBD can also cause pancreatitis in some cases, vomiting, diarrhea, anorexia, and appetite loss, all of which, as you can see, cause malabsorption or contribute to the malabsorption problem. Because of this, annual screenings of nutrients such as vitamin B12, folate, vitamin D, iron, zinc, and selenium are some key indicators that need to be measured annually. I actually pulled that from a paper and I would add copper to that one as well. So let's talk about muscle loss because it's another big consideration. Muscle loss or something called sarcopenia is the the medical term for it, is a big consideration as I said in one study, over 40% of the 658 patients in one paper had sarcopenia or degeneration of their muscles. This muscle loss also presents more overtly in people who have IBD and obesity simultaneously. Now estimates show that one-fifth or up to one-fifth of IBD patients now also have obesity which masks the loss in lean body mass. So I'll just repeat that. The one-fifth of IBD patients are also now trying to handle obesity and the obesity actually masks the lean body mass loss and it's harder to track or it's at least harder to see. So increasing dietary protein is the first place to start in IBD and one of the big dietary changes that you can make under your own steam, especially during a flare-up. And this is where we will pick up things right after the break here on Free and Inspired Radio. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back.
0: Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show.
1: Yes, yes, welcome back to episode 56 of Free and Inspired Radio where we are looking at some of the first things to do nutritionally regarding inflammatory bowel disease or IBD. Now, right before the break, we touched on muscle loss or sarcopenia in IBD and protein and how vital it is. And focusing on protein in the diet can improve levels of sarcopenia and preserve muscle in IBD. A recent study from 2021 recommended the dietary protein consumption for those with IBD should be around 1.2 grams to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight daily. I'll just repeat that. So, a 2021 paper uh, recommended the dietary protein consumption uh, for those with IBD should be around 1.2 grams to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. Now that is that particular scale is for someone experiencing a flare up and the if they are in endoscopic remission or clinical remission you can take that down to one gram of protein per kilogram of body weight. Now fiber is also essential however it can worsen IBD so you can come in with the best intentions, but sometimes your IBD can get worse with fibre, and it's a very common thing to hear from people um, uh, over the you know around the trap, so to speak. Now, a review of twenty six publications totaling over four thousand participants with IBD assessed total fibre intake. In conclusion, the review found individuals with IBD had lower fiber consumption than healthy controls. It would make sense to attend to this as a priority, knowing what we do about the anti-inflammatory effects of fiber. However, as we've touched on, some patients experience short-term benefits from reducing their fiber intake. So what's up with that? Well, A possible answer to this is something that we touched on earlier in the episode, and that's the interaction between the immune system and bacteria in your gut or microbiome. Now, a study released towards the end of 2022, or a few months ago, depending on when you're listening to this, a particular form of fiber part of the fructose group called fructans was isolated to cause inflammation in patients with ibd potentially and that's where sometimes people with ibd can respond very well to a low fructose diet now if you're familiar with some of the other episodes in free and inspired radio you may have come across episode two i believe called function over food and it talks a little bit about how we can often mistake
0: um
1: you know why you know we can mistake uh, food for being the problem and it, this episode outlines why a poor digestive function can give the d- impression that food is causing digestive symptoms when it's actually the food's interaction with the digestion and the immune system that's the problem and that's um, episode two of Friend inspired radio but returning to our study on fiber and IBD we actually see a similar situation the this study revealed that people living with IBD had reduced amounts of the bacteria responsible for breaking down certain forms of fiber now a lot of people don't necessarily know this that the commensal or I guess keystone bacteria in your gut uh, one of their primary functions is to take fiber and break it down into end products to feed your probiotics again so they're a very very important function now a result of this reduced capacity to break down fiber was that the fiber remained intact causing an immune response and inflammation. Now, this inflammation would then exacerbate IBD symptoms, leading to either a new flare-up or the worsening of an existing one. So... Interestingly, comprehensive digestive testing or stool testing may help to identify deficiencies in the colonic bacteria that break down fiber. Now, your healthcare practitioner can mitigate these deficiencies before increasing dietary fiber consumption so that you know that you're adding in the fiber at the right time. Specific stool testing can also look at the levels of end products produced by fiber called short-chain fatty acids. These end products is what I referred to earlier that uh, occur when the bacteria break down the fiber. These end products have aptly been named postbiotics and are essential to restore the microbiome by providing an energy source to important bacteria. Significantly for IBD, short-chain fatty acids can reduce inflammation in the digestive system. Now, what happens if you are one of the people who feel worse when you increase your fiber intake? Or one study suggests waiting for clinical remission. An opinion piece released in 2021 found that when fiber intakes were attended to at the right time, tolerability, and short-term benefits increased in IBD patients. For some, this might mean relying on medication to reach clinical remission before considering fiber intake. However, it does confirm that fiber, along with other positive dietary changes, such as low and refined processed food consumption and choosing water for hydration can benefit IBD in the long term. For some, IBD Uh, some with IBD excuse me healthy fruit and vegetable intake or fiber might not be enough and this is the next stage of our three things or the last thing of our three that's really important to consider and in the beginning we mentioned uh, some of the vitamin and mineral considerations now in some cases we know that blood levels of certain nutrients rise and fall in response to inflammation for example Iron stores or ferritin and copper increase in inflammation, but folate, zinc, and selenium decrease in response to inflammation. So this is where it can get a little confusing because you think you might be getting enough in your diet, but then the minerals especially Uh, uh, zinc and selenium and the vitamin folate actually go down in response to the inflammation so it may not actually be necessarily to do with your diet that makes them low and this is exactly why I mentioned vitamin and mineral content in the beginning because it's a huge part of malnutrition. Now I'm going to pick my top one here and that's vitamin D and in particular It's typically low in many different parts of the community, not just in IBD, but it plays a significant role in managing IBD's two key aspects, muscle loss and inflammation. So up to 50% of people living with IBD could be vitamin D deficient. And if you have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis and you're listening to this, have you had your vitamin D checked at all? Now, this is a really great study and it might just illustrate in a small way just the extent to which vitamin D can help. A five-year study followed just under 1,000 people with IBD who were either low in vitamin D or had normal levels. A higher frequency of pain interventions, CT scans and hospitalizations was needed for those in the inadequate vitamin D group and the low vitamin D group also had a poor health-related quality of life and significant worsening of pain. Now, studies like this five-year one are great examples of what I refer to as low-hanging fruit when it comes to IBD. Just yesterday, I used a quote that comes up a lot in practice, and that is, a complex problem doesn't always require a complex solution and ibd crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis is undoubtedly a complex problem with that said even in this short episode we've covered how correcting your protein intake using a vitamin d supplement or at least getting your vitamin d tested and choosing the right time to increase your fiber or correct your fiber intake can benefit ibd so hopefully that helps and there are so many different ways of helping IBD under your own under your own steam. What do you think? Um, if you're a regular listener to free and inspired radio you'll most likely expect me to say that we've only covered the tip of the iceberg here i think i say that at the end of most episodes but to give you a sense over 30 dietary recommendations are updated every year for ibd and we i've actually used one of the this year's updates, so the 2023 update that was released i think two weeks ago or a week ago even so this is fresh information Uh, to create this episode so once again there's 30 recommendations in that new updated guideline for IBD and the main two or three here just doesn't give the subject the coverage it deserves now this of course means that there'll probably be a part two in the works as there were other changes that I wanted to include so just as I said stay tuned as a IBD is a huge subject but There are a lot of avenues with which natural medicine can help along with medication. So even if you are already using medication, natural medicine can also help at that stage as well. Before we finish this free and inspired radio episode, if you would love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes, and everything in between, jump over to philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter there. There's information on how to see me as a patient if you want to work with me. And there are some changes coming up to the website. We are looking to get that done over the next month. I'm going to do a free and inspired episode to introduce these changes and give you an opportunity to be one of the first people to sign up to see them. Uh, We have just over 120,000 words now. On the website, so it's a very exciting time, and hopefully, you know, amongst those one hundred twenty thousand words, you can find as many digestive and mental health solutions as you possibly can, and that's the aim. As always, your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me to get the word on the street. If you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe. Thank you very much to those you have to see when each new podcast is uploaded. Uh, As always, big shouts to the show listeners who get this far. This show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. I hope this episode gets you one step closer. And until next week, don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And as always, thank you for tuning in to Free and Inspired Radio. Bye.
0: you made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.